0: Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. It's 10 a.m. in Hawaii. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Sunday, May 20th, Pacific Time, 4 o'clock, East Coast Time, 20 hours universal, and uh, time for the Mystery School. Nice to be with you today, as always. I uh, look forward to this every week and hope uh, you enjoy yourself today, and our topic The Mind and Its Brain. You know, I deliberately – try at least I tried to make that a somewhat provocative title, The Mind and Its Brain, because it really suggests my sense of the order of things. Uh, We're going to talk about the chicken and egg relationship of mind and brain. We'll define a few terms and talk about these terms conceptually. What is the mind, for example? The brain, that's easier to define. We'll talk about their inner reliance, their interdependence upon each other. But I'm also going to suggest that one is primary to the other, that it is a cycle. The mind affects the brain. The brain affects the mind, as I'll explain. But uh, I'm going to make an argument for the fact that Mind is causal, ultimately. That's the prime mover, the mind. And that the mind exists independently of the brain. Now, this is difficult to prove, but you can, if you're interested, play around with the concept a little bit and arrive at your own conclusions. Or maybe just suspend judgment altogether, but it is a, a fascinating uh, way of I believe reflecting upon the nature of awareness, which is sometimes called consciousness or sentience or I like to call it understanding. And uh, we have empirical science suggesting that our awareness or our consciousness, our sense of existing, our self-awareness, it's often called is simply a function of brain chemistry, that what we really are are these physical bags of protoplasm that are walking around on the planet, conscious and aware, again, sentient, self-aware, only because of uh, chemistry in the brain. And it's these chemicals in the brain that create our conscious awareness. Now, my premise is exactly the opposite, that consciousness exists independently from the brain and there's a lot of new research that we'll talk about here in this free forum and also in the premium training that follows in about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, uh, which you can enroll in if you haven't already registered and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. A lot of research that shows that while – Changes in brain chemistry certainly affect our consciousness or our awareness, our intelligence. I mean, a great example of that is a psychedelic or psychoactive medicine. Uh, some of the the meds or the drugs that are given to schizophrenics like lithium, for example, or a psychoactive drug like uh that found in uh, LSD or psilocybin or or mescaline. You know, this is very popular to experiment with in the 60s, but the impact that these chemicals had upon awareness or consciousness, you really can't debate. Um, Again, even lithium or other psychoactive drugs, Um, even the very popular, I believe, extremely, too popular, the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, are examples of the way in which affecting the chemistry of the brain is going to impact the mind. But you see, the premise today is that the reverse is also true, that by changing the mind. We can affect the brain. We can direct the growth, the literal growth of the brain. In other words, while conceding that changes in brain chemistry affect the way we think and feel and, and even act, consequently, there's a lot of new research coming through in the last decade or two that indicates the reverse is true, that by changing your mind, you change your brain, that the brain tends to conform in its growth and regeneration to the expectations of the mind. Now, we're talking not only about remapping and rewiring, but literal growth in the size and weight of the brain. Particularly in those who meditate, who use relaxation techniques to reduce stimulus, stress, anxiety, distractions, to concentrate or focus their attention. By using relaxation to focus, there's a lot of people that have heard of meditation or contemplation, but they've never really thought of it this way, that it's sort of like, focusing light in that you know how you could focus a floodlight in some cases even a flashlight you can adjust the barrel and you can focus from a floodlight to a spotlight well you know in our lifetimes 40 or 50 years ago I remember the first time I saw lasers and it was pretty amazing pretty remarkable this is so-called coherent light If you focus light to the point that the waves are parallel to each other and do not diffuse or disperse in any way, you can cut steel. (laughs) You can cut titanium. You can focus a remarkable amount of power through light when it's focused, and I'm arguing that mental concentration is similar, that most of us are so distracted that we're only using a small percentage of our minds, our awareness at any given time. But when you breathe ah, and relax, when you feel the letting go in your body and turn your attention away from the physical world, primarily by closing your eyes. And there are other techniques like uh, visualization or guided imagery, uh, using an affirmation or a mantra uh, to focus your attention inward rather than outward. That radically reduces the amount of stimulus that the brain has to deal with. And brain waves, the actual frequency of the brain waves, the electromagnetic waves radiating from your brain like a radio signal. I mean, not very powerful, but you've seen the EEG where they put the wires right on the scalp. That's sort of like an antenna placed on the scalp with this conductive paste that leads to a kind of a radio receiver called an electroencephalograph. And it makes an electroencephalogram, right? A diagram of brain waves. And relaxation reduces the frequency of these brain waves. But it also changes chemistry in the brain. Profound relaxation, as in meditation promotes the production of so-called neurotransmitters. Now, these are chemicals that are made inside the brain that in many ways are like those psychoactive drugs that I talked about earlier. I mean, this was one of the fascinating things that happened in the 60s and the 70s is even though there were some social problems that went along with... These drugs, which became illegal at the peak of their use and experimentation on college campuses, that's a that's a whole big story about how the CIA was doing mind control experiments with LSD, ended up buying from Sandoz Labs in Switzerland— Basically, the whole world supply, somebody at the CIA did not know the difference between micrograms and milligrams and ended up ordering from the only lab that really made LSD a thousand times more than they thought they were ordering. They didn't realize the doses were in mics, not milligrams. So they had all this LSD. What are they going to do with it? Well, they started passing it out to university professors and other researchers and scientists. They experimented mind-control experiments on American soldiers, usually without the knowledge of the soldier. On prison inmates, again, without the knowledge or consent of the prison inmate. Sometimes on mentally ill or severely retarded people just to sort of check it out. I mean, it's completely unethical, criminal behavior, but there you go. That's, you know, when you're a secret spy agency, you figure, well, it's okay to bend the law or even break the law a little bit because of your noble efforts defending America. So all of this LSD is floating around out there. And a lot of it, of course, ended up in the hands of university professors who would then instruct their graduate assistants to administer in controlled experimental conditions this LSD to certain subjects. Well, these people were having some pretty remarkable experiences. Uh, Trips, that became the phrase, to trip out or, dude, you're tripping or whatever – course, is a reference to the sudden explosion of LSD experimentation in the 1960s. And uh, the grad assistants thought, well, that's pretty remarkable. This the guy I gave the assidu, uh tonight under the uh, controlled experimental conditions claimed he saw God. Others were talking about it being the most beautiful experience of their lives where all of their senses were hyped up and uh, beautiful objects and beautiful pictures and uh, a beautiful flower, for example, would just become so fascinating. Hell, on LSD, you could be fascinated staring into an ashtray full of cigarette butts. And every, <laughs> everything becomes so incredibly fascinating. And why do I bring it up? Because it, it was just an, a really, really good example, confirmation of the way in which the brain affects the mind. That if you adjust the chemistry of the brain or affect brain chemistry... It's going to change the mind, change your mind, the way you think, the conclusions that you draw, uh, your ability to concentrate or focus your attention, um, the, the way in which you reason, your creative nature, your intuitive nature. Many people thought they became very uh, psychic on LSD. And, um, you know, many had some very otherworldly experiences, so-called hallucinations. And uh, again, if you were there, who's to say the hallucinations weren't real? It doesn't take much reflection for you to consider that the so-called reality that we perceive and rely upon the world out there is really assembled by the brain behind your eyeballs right? Your eyeballs are just picking up light that is reflected off objects. And if you reach out and touch the object, sure enough, there it is. And it may have texture, and it may have temperature, and your ability to touch the object tends to confirm the existence that your eyes are seeing. Well, with the psychoactive chemicals, so-called hallucinations, you see things that are there, but in very strange ways. And sometimes you see things that arguably are not there. I mean, somebody who's not taken LSD uh, would say, no, it's not there. But often people experienced, and and I'll admit to having this experience myself on uh, a couple of occasions, experimenting as a young college student, there's a phrase, in fact, foyer adieu, which means the madness of two. It's a French term, obviously, for a shared hallucination. Well, if two people see the same hallucination at the same time, is it a matter of suggestion that one tells the other one and then they see it because they were told? Are they hypersuggestible because of these drugs? Are they? Are they hypnotized, in a sense, by these drugs? Well, one particular really life-changing uh, experience I had, I was with a girlfriend. We were we were camping in Cape Cod, and we did this LSD. And I remember this starfish was uh, in the sand in this campground, this state park in Cape Cod. And uh, – it was a long way from the beach. It was some distance from the beach, and obviously it had been there for a while. It was not alive. It was clearly uh, long dead. But a beautiful, uh, you know, the outer casing of the starfish was still there. It was quite beautiful. And as I looked at it, I wanted to reach out and touch it, and so I did. But as I touched it, these purple waves of energy went through the starfish, and I turned to my, uh, my girlfriend and I said, do you see that? Did you see that? I didn't say, did you see those purple waves going through the starfish? I said, did you see what just happened? She said, you mean those purple waves that <laughs> went through the starfish when you touched it? And I said, Yeah. And we goofed around with that for 10 minutes, you know, touching, there's the purple waves. Uh, Taking my finger off, they went away, touching, purple waves. It's pretty remarkable. I remember another time I had this tapestry in my home, and I had around the outer edges of the tapestry horses, just a series, like a chain of horses, one following the other. And I'd had that tapestry hanging there for a couple of years. And then one day, again, yeah, this is back in the 60s. Uh, <laughs> this is a long time ago, but my memory is very good about how those horses on this LSD trip started running around the out- outer edge of that tapestry. And I sat there and I was just so amazed. The language of the day freaked out, right? But not in a bad way, it was just fascinating. To watch the horses running around the outer edge, around and around and around, they went in a clockwise direction. And so I stood up and I walked over there and I got real close and no matter how close I put my face to the tapestry, those horses ran around and around and around. I couldn't get close enough to see them not running, to see it as I remembered it being. Obviously, you know, something woven into a tapestry is not supposed to be moving. But as soon as I touched it with my fingertips, the horses stopped running. And then I took my hand off it, and there they go again, right? So I thought, is this my mind? Is this a hallucination? But I I tried changing my mind. I tried telling or commanding the horses to stop. Nothing worked. I had no control over that except when I reached out and touched it with my fingers. Now, some say, well, that's obviously a hallucination. You're making all of that up. It's just a function of brain chemistry affecting the mind. Well, what I want to talk about today is that the mind – has an impact on the brain that the reverse is true, as I've already stated, and there is a lot of research now that's coming out. That we have, we have now these uh, cat scans and these PET scans and this magnetic resonance imagery. We even have the uh, a nuclear version of an MRI. Incredibly powerful devices that allow you to see right into the human body, including the brain. And we can map it in three dimensions, the entire brain, and watch what happens when particularly a meditator, again, it's we talked about focusing the energy of the mind, the way you focus a flashlight from a floodlight to a spotlight and then all the way down to a laser beam, how a focused mind has more power and more energy, more ability to it, and uh, how that affects brain waves and such. Well, what we notice is that a normal person, an average person, who does not meditate or practice deep states of relaxation, their mind, as long as they're awake, conscious, their mind is pretty scattered, pretty distracted by the mental stream, the stream of consciousness. And you know how that feels, to be distracted constantly and perpetually by the mind, shouting out these ideas or flashing pictures. Some people are real auditory. They hear their mind. Some people see their mind as a bunch of pictures. Uh, Some people just get a feeling in their body of what the mind is doing. Ideally, you want to develop all three, the visual, the auditory, and the kinesthetic. But to think about thinking, to watch the mind thinking, uh, to watch the unfolding of emotions in a situation, very few people do this. So we understand that meditation, which is basically a relaxation uh, technique or skill, focuses the attention, and people who practice it, like um, a Zen monk or or a Tibetan Buddhist or even somebody practicing a a simple TM technique, they have the ability to affect the physical growth and development of the organ that the mind expresses through called the brain. Meditation literally will grow the size and the weight of the brain. Einstein, for example, had an enormous brain. He wasn't born with a big brain. Even as a young adult, it's doubtful that he had... Uh, a larger than than a normal brain, although he may have. The evidence is that years of reflection, of meditation, of contemplation, of staring out the window and wondering, and the relaxation that that comes out of developed the brain. The brain was conforming. To the expectations of the mind, the brain saying, "This guy's thinking about some pretty deep stuff here—theories of relativity and stuff." Come on, we better grow some gray matter, and not only growing gray matter. Not only does meditation grow the brain, literally in its weight and size, but also the blood flow. Obviously, the capillaries and and vessels and veins that service the brain, they develop. The neural endings, the, the synapses, the areas where, you know, the firing of one brain cell is passed on over this little synapse to another brain cell and triggers then dozens of other brain cells all over the brain. The brain is very holographic. It doesn't just work out of one area. It's always working in these all over these um, all all over the brain. It's just lighting up, right? And we can map that now. Scientists can. I personally I mean personally I can't. I, I don't have the equipment or even the knowledge, but I've read the studies. And they're absolutely fascinating. So if we've got this chicken and the egg argument that the brain clearly can be, by administering drugs, chemicals, will affect the mind. But we also have evidence now in the last couple of decades, very clear, repeatable, uh, demonstrable evidence, that by changing the mind, your attitudes, your beliefs, what you put your attention on, especially when you're deeply relaxed, all right, hear that part of it, you can literally direct the growth of the brain. You can develop the brain to do things that otherwise it would not be able to do. Now, again, don't expect to see this on your local cable news channel. And whatever happened to the newspapers and news magazines is another story for another program. So you really have to deliberately, proactively do the research if you want to read this material. Given the cover of Time of Newsweek this past week, I have a less and less faith in these magazines actually doing news. They're more like People and Us magazine. Though. Uh, so, this kind of stuff is not being widely reported, although it should be, and it's absolutely fascinating. So, If you are an empiricist and you believe in one side of the cycle, only that the brain affects the mind and consciousness is this magical and amazing uh, function of or result of brain activity and brain chemistry, then it's likely that you believe that physical death is the end of consciousness or awareness. But this new research that says, wait a minute, the mind changes the brain, it even grows the brain. It looks like the brain is subservient to the mind. And yeah, the reverse is true. We've known for decades, for centuries, literally, that the brain affects the mind. But now that we know the mind affects the brain and can cause it to grow and rewire and remap. Maybe consciousness or awareness exists independently of the brain. Maybe you were conscious and aware of yourself before you had a brain, before you incarnated. Maybe you're not a physical being with awareness. Perhaps you are awareness that is focused into a physical being and expressing through the brain. This is just an introduction here in the free forum to what I'd like to talk about in the premium training that follows in just a few minutes. So I hope you can join us. If you've not yet enrolled, go to theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it. The W's dot com. You can register literally in 60 seconds.